Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. Please stand as you are able for scripture readings from Corinthians and Matthew. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow the apostles. Another, I follow Cephas. Another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. May God bless the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word. Amen. Maybe seated.
So here we are, week three, the power of words. It may be a difficult topic to talk about. Uh, so I'm going to ask, uh, first of all, for grace and for mercy as we, as we share this topic, uh, but also that, uh, that you know once again that there are questions in Scripture in your bulletin. Uh, there are places where you can jot down some notes that when the Spirit speaks to you this morning, as I know the Spirit will speak to you, uh, that you can write those notes down so that you don't forget them. Uh, and so I ask that you would pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we come longing to hear your word, to hear your word on some maybe difficult topics. But God, that is why we are here, so that we can learn and that we can grow and that we can be more Christ-like in our lives. And so God, I ask that the words that I speak would not be my own, but God, that these words are your words and they are your words for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Words are powerful. Words have deep meaning. Words can encourage. Words can diminish. Words can make you feel like you are invincible and then bring you to your lowest point of self-worth. Words are important. Words are power. This is how we began, and I repeat it again last week. We're talking about words and how we use them. Do we build people up or do we tear them down? Do we hurt others with them or do we offer life-giving words? So what has it been for you this week? Not asking you to speak out. <laughs> but what has it been for you this week? Have you reflected on your words? What you said and, and maybe how you said it? How were your relationships in your family? Were you able to reach out in love and kindness? Were you able to offer forgiveness? Remember last week I asked you in prayer actually for God to place a person's name within your heart to go out and talk with. And I wonder if you did that. And if you didn't, there's another week. You could do it this week. <laughs> 1995. Time magazine cho chose Newt Gingrich as its man of the year. Now, whether you characterize him as ruthless, brilliant, or obnoxious, we should admit that Newt, as the Speaker of the House, shifted the political center in Washington a bit. Speaker Gingrich had chased destiny since childhood. When he was 10 years old, he went to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to lobby state officials to build a zoo. Didn't know this. He had done his homework, and he knew the cost, even the cost of the animals. In high school, he was voted the most intellectual as well as the most eccentric in his class. The speaker says this about himself. My strength and my weakness is that I, normal, that I see normally impersonal events vividly and personally. From childhood, he aspired to either become a great politician or a zookeeper. Someone once said that as the Speaker of the House, he got both of his wishes. <laughs> All right, so I'd like us to, uh, to read once again our, our verse. Uh, repeat this. This is Ephesians 4.29. And so will you say this with me? Do not let any unwholesome talk come 
or I'm sorry, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I guess I had a different translation in my, on my screen here. Uh, so we've already heard how these apply to our daily lives, and especially within our relationships and our family. But can these words also apply when talking about politics? Maybe they don't right now, but I think they should. Why does it seem like when it comes to this topic of politics, all the rules of civility, kindness, compassion, and humility just go right out the door? We are in a time. Actually, I could say this, but now that I think about it, we've been in a time for, for quite some, so many years when words are, off, are so often used on both sides of the aisle with reckless abandon. Words are spoken without regards of who they might hurt or what damage might be done. Now, if we think we have the corner on the market when it comes to speaking this way, I want to play a little video for you uh, from Parliament in England. And so if you've got, make sure you got sound on that one because it's a quick, it's a little quick video. So here. On summing up policy Uh-oh. in six words. Well, how about this? You are the weakest link. Goodbye. We have this. One. You're a miserable pipsqueak of a man. You know, really, you have the charisma of a damp rag and the appearance of a low-grade bank clerk. <laughs> so the first one said, you know, if we wanted to say the, the words of, uh, of some of the, the words that we really wanted to speak about politics, where he says, you are the weakest link, goodbye. <laughs> These people were not being nice. We might actually not look so bad anymore when, when we see that, because sometimes on, on at least some of the government floors, uh, the words are, are at least nice. They might dig quite a bit, but they're, uh, they're not quite as rash as those. Words have power. Words are power. And those were not kind words, and frankly, neither are many of the words we are hearing from some of our politicians today. I mean, we're in the middle of this nation when words are so often used on both sides of the aisle with reckless abandon, as I said. Words are spoken without regards to who they may hurt or what damage may actually be done. Yes, there are some who still speak truth, compassion and kindness, but it seems to be the exception and not the rule. How did we get here? What slippery slope did we find ourselves on to reach this unhealthy destination? And I have to say, within politics, there is something that is incredibly important. It is the art of debate. Now, before we get too deep, I want to share something with you from from Dan Gardner. Uh, He presented a mathematical reason never to argue religion or politics at family gatherings, so, you, yeah, you kind of looked at him. So he, you, you already know this, right? Uh, so I'm going to get critiqued by more than one person. Uh, you know, you don't do this at family gatherings, and I dare say any gatherings. And so here is what he was talking about. He, he was talking about Euclid's fifth postulate. Now, 
Might be a little early. Uh, So what we have to look at here is if we have a line with a point just above, how many parallel lines will intersect with that point? And basically meaning that it won't intersect with the line below it. With Euclid's fifth postulate, it's one. Only one. Within plane geometry, this is true. We can also see that in this type, when you add all the angles up in a triangle, you will get to how much? You can't answer. (laughs) Come on. 180 degrees. 180 degrees. However, if we introduce something else called spherical geometry, now I know that it's going to be a little too early in the morning for this, uh, but we can say that there, with, with this postulate, we can say that there are no lines that intersect with that same point that will be parallel, that won't cross that first line. In this kind of geometry, all the angles in a triangle will add up to more than 180 degrees. Taking it a step further, hyperbolic geometry will, will tell us that it is possible to have more than one line which intersects with the point, but yet are parallel, meaning that they don't intersect with any other line. Here the, ang- the angles of all the triangle will add up to less than 180 degrees. So far? Okay? Okay. <laughs> what does all this mean? Good question. Even though each mathematician began with the same basic question and even agreeing on some initial assumptions like the original line and a point somewhere above it, they all came up with different conclusions. To each of these theorists, they were correct. And in a way, they each are correct. The problem enters when they begin arguing that, that not only are they correct, but the other ones are wrong. So can you see how this might become a problem? We need to be able to listen and understand each other, even in different points of view. Who's to say that that you hold the absolute truth? What makes you right and everyone else wrong? Maybe Just maybe, there's some truth on every side. And we'll never know unless we have civil conversations about things. We are a very diverse group. Very diverse group of people in this country. And there are many different views on similar topics. That is why we need to learn how to live with each other. Learn from each other and respect each other. Even within this congregation, we can see many different political beliefs. Some churches are actually filled with people predominantly from one political party or the other. And within those congregations, it's easy to get along because the majority believe kind of alike. They're either liberal or conservative. But it gets more difficult when you have a congregation, kind of like ours, that find ourselves on both sides of the aisle, differing in many ways of how they view things politically. So how do we do it? How do we get along even in the midst of our differences? 
I guess there's, there's two ways we do it. One way is to just ignore the topic. You don't talk about it. I think I had another slide up there, didn't I? Yeah, but that's too much for us this morning. <laughs> yeah, a little too much. But I can, I can send that to you if you want it. Uh, <laughs> but one thing is to, is to follow Dan's advice and just ignore the topic. Don't talk about it. Pretend they aren't happening. Not healthy, but it is an option. The other is to perfect the art of debate. Have those difficult conversations that lead to understanding and respect for each other. See, in our political system right now, this is not working. We seem to be going in opposite directions, and nothing, nothing is bringing us back to the table, to the center, to have these conversations. The political scene looks like two opposing factions lobbing hateful words against each other, both interested or not interested in, at all in actually coming together. They become more interested in satisfying their base and strengthening their position. Each side is the one in the right, and they believe the other is completely wrong. What has happened? How did we get to this place? Can we ever get out of the hole that we're in? Because frankly, I'm tired. I don't know how you feel, but when I watch the news and I, and I hear all the hateful words being said about human beings, about children of God, I'm hurt. and I'm tired of it. Three things out of many have contributed, I think, to the state that we are in today. First, We've developed a failure to listen, to really listen. When you hear someone speaking, are you listening to what they're saying? Or are you just listening enough so that you can respond with what point you wanted to make? Are you listening to understand or are you listening to react? You must see that this is how we get to know each other. This is how we get to understand other political positions. When we immediately shut them down, we close off communication. We close that off and the understanding that comes with it. How did you get to where you are today? Maybe I could ask you that question. How did you get to where you are today in your beliefs? Did they just come to you in, inherently? Or was it something that you learned through study and through conversations with others? In order to understand, we need to listen. And there's an added bonus to listening to those of a different, differing belief because sometimes we are swayed to a greater understanding of the issue. We may decide that there is another way to think about things or even change our stance. Other times we can be strengthened in our own beliefs. But we need to know what the other side of the issue is. And we can only do that if we listen to them, understand them, and respect them, as Aretha would say. But we have to listen with an open heart and an open mind. That is the beginning to understanding. How open are you? Are you listening? There are two guys walking down the seventh fairway and talking, and one of them said, my wife talks to herself a lot. 
almost all the time. His friend answered, oh, you know, mine does too. But she doesn't know it. She thinks I'm listening. (laughs) I won't won't say that Greg told me. No, Greg did not tell me that. (laughs) Are you listening? (laughs) Second is how we talk to each other. Are we talking with people or are we talking at people? There is a big difference. You see, when we talk at people, we are saying that our way is the only way and that we can't believe that anyone who is rational would think any other way. We begin talking, not interested at all about what the other person thinks or feels. But when we begin talking with people, we begin to have these meaningful conversations. We speak to be understood while listening to the other person. You remember our our trailhead on Wednesday evenings when we sat around in circles and talked with each other and learned from each other. Certainly we can, we can talk to get our point across, but there's a difference in passionately speaking our position and expressing our beliefs and spouting off not at all concerned about others around us. Listening and speaking are connected if we do them correctly. Finally, is a failure to see people as human beings, as created beings whom God loves. I think we've all seen this. We've heard politicians call each other names, degrading them in hopes of eroding their position on any worthwhile issue. What is it, I think someone used to say this, the one who slings mud is losing ground. How many names can you think of that have been spoken over the last few election cycles? How many names are you hearing today? And we hear people talk about other human beings as animals, less than human, even by racist terms. When does the name calling stop? When does it all stop? Add in one extra layer to this. With the anonymity of social media, it has become extremely easy to call people by degrading terms. Since we don't see them or talk to them, it's really easy to talk about them like they weren't even human at all. When does the hatred stop? I'm tired. I'm hurt. I'm disgusted by all the hatred, name-calling, and one-sided conversations that have been going on over the past several years. I think of John Coffey from the Green Mile. I think he said it pretty eloquently, and I think I've got this other video clip lined up here. I hope I do. want it to be over and done with. I do. You got sound? Tired, boss. Tired of being on the road, lonely as a sparrow in the rain. I'm tired of never having me a buddy to be with, to tell me where we's going to, from or why. Mostly, I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel in here in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. Can you understand? 
Yes, John, make a king. Are you tired? Tired of people being ugly to each other? Tired of them treating others like they were less than human? What can we do about it? I think we can reverse this, especially in, in our community, by doing as Scripture tells us. We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. It doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything, but we can still love each other. Can we at least say that? It wasn't that long ago when politicians would would gather with people from both sides of the aisle after work. They would have dinner and conversations and get to know each other. It seems as the trend today is just going the other way. People don't seem to want to be seen with people from the other party, afraid of what their fellow Democrats or Republicans would think. The gap is getting wider and wider every year. We don't talk to each other anymore. But here, we sit as brothers and sisters in Christ. What are we supposed to do? I think we are called to show something completely different. And so here is what I mean. I encourage all of you to get together with people that you may not completely agree with. Have dinner together. Listen to each other. Try to understand what the other person or where the other person is coming from. Try to understand their point of view. And when it comes to the topic of politics, I want you to hear the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians in a new way. Now yes, this seems to be the go-to passage for wedding ceremonies, but we need to remember that this was written to a church that had some really big disagreements. This was a letter written to help them get along. And so I want you to listen to the love chapter once again. But in place of the word love, place your name. And as we read through this, think about it in the realm of politics. So let me give you an example. When it comes to politics, Jared is patient. Jared is kind. You get the idea. And so as you hear this, put your name. When it comes to politics, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, love is not arrogant, love is not rude, love does not insist on its own way, love is not irritable or resentful, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. In order to see our lives involved with politics, I want to close with this. When Sharon Kurtall founded the Women's Center in Steubenville, Ohio in 1977, it was the primary advocate for the town's African-American community. Through the years, the services provided by the center had expanded to include health and housing issues, youth and older adult concerns, and crisis intervention. 
Although more and more of Kurtal's time is devoted to fundraising, her basic commitment to social change has never wavered. I don't believe you can be a Christian and not care about people. Politics should enhance the lives of other people. And if you really care about people, your political ambition should be to change the structures to enhance the life of others. Sometimes I think, she wrote, why can't I just walk away and forget about it? It's something in me, a spiritual conviction that makes me political. Now many will say that the church should have nothing to do with politics and that we should not discuss them together. But I say that I'm not sure that you can be a Christian without being involved in politics in one way or another. See, politics is all about people. It's about love, or at least it should be. It should be about hope. It should be about forgiveness. And I don't want to be tired anymore. I don't want to be tired of people being ugly to each other anymore. Will you pray with me? God, I think we are all tired. We're tired of the ugliness that we see around us, especially when it comes to these words that are spoken, the, the hate-filled words. And so, God, when it comes to talking about politics and sharing our beliefs, God, can you help us to remember who we are and whose we are, that we are your chosen people, and that we're called to love you and to love our neighbor. Help us to truly share positive words. Words that only build up, that never tear down. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we get ready to go forth from this place, remember that just on the other side of the wall is some wonderful coffee and I think maybe some individually wrapped snacks, maybe. Uh, and so I encourage you to go there and have some conversations, the kind of conversations we were talking about today. Uh, I wanted to remind you of, uh, you know, the opening hymn that we sang was America the Beautiful. Uh, and regardless of, of where you're at, thinking about this final statement. You know, because it comes right after America, America. God, mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty in law. God, mend thine every flaw. Nobody said that everything was perfect, but we strive. We strive to be a more perfect union. And that is what we are called to be, is, is a perfect union with God and with neighbor. And so go, knowing that the love of God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you. And it goes with you always. Amen.